Well, it's great to be with you today. And um, just before we jump into today's message, uh, just a quick mention or notice from me about our in-person services that you've already heard from Jason about. Uh, it's been great opening up and having many people step back in and we'd love you to come at your pace as you feel comfortable to do that. So please do come along and check us out uh, when you feel ready to. But we also just want to say, obviously, with the hope of restrictions maybe lifting and changing over these next few weeks and months, we are hoping to begin to relaunch some of our Sunday ministries and looking at how we can do that. And obviously, in order to do that, we're looking to regather some of our teams. So this really is a message for those of us who have maybe been in teams before or, or some of others of us who have maybe never stepped into serving. Just to say we would love you all as you start to come back into our buildings to consider stepping into our serving teams. Um, and just playing your part in serving this family and serving our wider community who also may want to start coming to church and hearing about Jesus. So now for some of us who have been in teams before, if you are feeling like you want to come back to church in our buildings, then obviously you could get in contact with your team leader and have a chat with them or alternatively they may contact you about what you're feeling comfortable to do. Um, so please do that. And others of us who have never been in a team and never served on a Sunday, we would love to invite you to consider being part of that, uh, thinking about that and potentially stepping into a team. And the details are just kind of come up on the screen as to how you can do that. And uh, yeah, we would love to invite you in this next season to consider stepping into a serving team and playing your part in our family as we serve one another. Okay, right into today's message. If you were with us last week, you'll know that Andrew uh, launched a new series called The King and His Kingdom. That was an excellent message. I would encourage you to watch it or listen to it if you haven't done so yet. This week, we're going to read from Luke chapter 4, from verse 14. So if you've got a Bible, uh, grab that, look up Luke 4. Uh, and you may want to just have your finger in Isaiah 61, which is in the Old Testament, because Luke 4 references Isaiah 61. And this is quite a, well, it's a very significant passage, really, in terms of the ministry of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God. So let's read from verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, 
Only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built and in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, every so often you will know that uh, when elections are looming, uh, political parties and their leaders will gather their people and their supporters for a conference. Uh, They will kind of chat with their PR teams and come up with some kind of slogans, which I have to confess I find slightly frustrating. And they will often typically announce a manifesto. This is what they're going to do in this next season. This is how they're going to change things. And at the end of their big announcement, everyone will stand up and they'll get a big round of applause. And that's kind of how the whole thing ends. Now, in some senses, Luke 4 is a little bit like Jesus announcing a kingdom manifesto. He is proclaiming who he is and what he has come to do. But as you know, as you've just seen from the story, there's no applause. There's no standing ovation. In fact, this story ends with the people becoming so angry, they become basically a mob. They drive Jesus out of town and threaten to throw him off the edge of a cliff. Now, what's a bit weird about this story or this passage when you read it is Jesus appears to be announcing incredibly good news. You read that, you think, this is an incredible announcement. But what the people hear is bad news. And they react to something they don't want to hear. And the gospel and the kingdom of God can be like that. The gospel, the kingdom is the most extraordinary proclamation and demonstration of good news, of release, of freedom. It's good news. And yet, at times, it can provoke the most strong reaction from people. It's both incredibly attractive, but also incredibly challenging. It is, as Jesus described in in, um, Matthew 13, the pearl of great price. It's the pearl that's hidden in the ground. Uh, The guy finds it. He sells everything he has to buy it and keep it. It's worth more than everything, but it costs him everything. And that's a little bit like the gospel is like. And that's why you get this incredibly polarized responses. That's why Jesus and the gospel sometimes have hundreds and thousands of people flocking to him. And then at other times, people like in John 6, where they just walk away, scores of walk away and just go, it's just too hard for us. You see, the kingdom and the gospel and the kingdom message confronts us with who we really are. It tells us that we're both incredibly loved and wanted by God, but it also shows us how incredibly broken and sinful and prideful and arrogant we are, how utterly impotent we are to change ourselves in our own scenarios. And that's a hard message to hear about ourselves. And in Luke 4, we get this reaction. Jesus proclaims incredible news, this proclamation of the kingdom of God coming in a new way that he himself is heralding and inaugurating. And yet the people don't like it, and they get angrier and angrier and angrier. And what we discover is this, is that they don't really want God's rules to come. What they really want is God to come and help them out. They want God to come and do things their way. Now, this reminded me of a story when I was growing up. I went to a Christian camp. Um, I was probably about 14, 15, and in our youth group, there was a, there was a guy there's the kind of usual blend. Some people were really on fire for God. Some people were a bit like in the middle and others who were just disinterested. And this guy was a little bit on the edge, probably a bit skeptical. I'm not going to tell you where I was in that camp. Um, but anyway, that evening there was like, everyone had to go to bed by a certain time. And he was one of the guys who decides, now nah, I'm going to wander off. I'm going to avoid the security guards with their kind of 
power-crazed walkie-talkies and luminous jackets, and him and his mate wandered off into the car park, and they decided to have a bit of a chat, and they perched on the edge of a car. What he didn't realize was this car had an alarm. And so partway through this conversation, they obviously leant back a little bit too much on this car, and the alarm just started going off and just blaring, blaring, blaring. And obviously, he's now really worried that all the security guards are going to be kind of flooding from all over the place to try and get them. And so he decides to pray. Because so he, he told us this the next day. He prays this prayer. He says, God, please get us out of this. And dot, 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 dot. And I think he used some language that uh, God isn't normally used to people praying. But he prayed that kind of language. And apparently, immediately, the car alarm went off. Now, um, I don't know if that was God. I, it could well be just the car alarm just happened to go off. But he then shared this bit of news the next morning at the site prayer meeting. I think he edited out some of the words he'd used in his prayer from the night before. But it made me think, sometimes we can kind of be like that with God. We can kind of cry when we need his help. God, come and do my, help sort out my thing. But that's all I really need from you. Thank you very much. Then I'll go on my way and do the rest of my life my way. And the people here don't really want God to come and rule in the way that God wants to rule. They want him to, they want him to come and fix their thing. And as some of you know, in Jesus' day, the Jewish people were waiting for, desperate for, a champion, a victor, a leader to emerge who would lead them to victory. In other words, they would deal with the Romans, punish their enemies, restore the fortunes of the people of Israel. And that was the kind of national atmosphere amongst the Jews at the time that Jesus' ministry is birthed. That's the kind of expectation people had. They were waiting for a Messiah to come who would come and sort out their problems as a nation. And Nazareth was that kind of town as well. Scholars reckon that Nazareth was basically formed in about the second century BC, around the time of the Maccabean Revolt, if you know anything about that. It's basically a nationalistic uprising, kicking out kind of oppressive foreigners out of their land. And that's how Nazareth was birthed. So the town Jesus is from is that kind of town. And that is the moment in which Jesus stands up in his hometown to read scriptures at the synagogue, and he gets to read from Isaiah 61. Now, Isaiah 61 is relevant as well and significant because Isaiah 61 is a passage they would have known and is a passage that the Jews would have considered to be all about a a messianic figure coming who is going to restore their fortunes, bring freedom and release, but also critically bring judgment and God's vengeance on their enemies. So suddenly all the wrongs of the past would be, be righted In fact, if you read on in Isaiah 61, it goes on to say how the people are going to flourish, they're going to economically be restored, and that's going to be at the expense of the foreigners and the enemies who were once their oppressors but now become their servants. So the people know Isaiah 61, and when Jesus gets handed it, they're like, okay, here we go. You can imagine. This is a boy from our hometown in in a town that's, birthed out of nationalistic further in its past and is reading one of their favorite passages about how God is going to restore Israel and going to punish their enemies and things that have been wrong are going to be righted. But they don't get what they expect. And Jesus doesn't do what they want. Firstly, 
Jesus doesn't read it the way they expect. In fact, Jesus edits the passage. And you can look between Luke 4 and Isaiah 61. You can see, oh, he says some of the things, but he doesn't say everything. He leaves parts out. He adds things in. And crucially, he stops short of what they really want him to say. He doesn't declare the day of the vengeance and judgment of God to come. Jesus ends actually by saying that I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, which is a reference to Leviticus and, and the day of Jubilee. We'll touch on that in a little while. So he stops there. He doesn't even go on to talk about vengeance and judgment. And then he, he says it, he rolls up the scroll, he hands it back, and he sits down. And everybody's looking at him. Now, I, I know in the, in the NIV what it says is that everyone was talking and looking and spoke really well of him. But actually, there's some debate among scholars as to whether you can really translate it that way. That in the original Greek, it's basically, it's clear people were reacting, but it's not entirely clear whether they were reacting positively or negatively. And the NIV translated it as they were reacting positively to Jesus. But it's not entirely clear. So you could read that, say, oh, look, it's Joseph's son. He's one of our own. Hasn't he grown? You know, that kind of stuff that when you're 15 and you haven't seen your auntie for 10 years and they're surprised you've grown. Oh, we're so proud of him. It could be, it could be positive or it could be read as, isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't he? He's from around here. He should know better than to say that kind of thing around here. And depending on which way you translate it, it depends on what kind of reaction you see. Either way you read it, Jesus starts to get a reaction, which is what he does. And he still does that today. And true to form, whilst he may have sat down, he's not finished because he knows what they're thinking. He starts to go, oh yeah, I know what you're thinking. And amongst other things now, Jesus then goes on and he starts to talk about Elisha and Elijah, who are both kind of key prophetic figures in Israel's past. And he starts to talk about them, you know, but instead of talking about them like as a, in a really positive way in their history, what he does is he zones in on how Elijah was sent to a widow and how Elisha healed a leper. So having refused to declare judgment, Jesus now picks out two characters from Israel's history. Both characters demonstrate remarkable faith. Both are held up as examples. Both are rewarded. And both, wait for this, are Gentiles. In other words, they're, they're Israel's enemies. Jesus is picking out people from their history as enemies, and he's holding them up as examples of faith. They've been rewarded and they've been shown to be people of remarkable faith. These are the ones for whom the Jews are expecting there to be vengeance on and Jesus is holding them up as an example. And notice first, it's a woman, a Gentile woman. And then secondly, it's a Gentile male military leader. Jesus is not trying to be popular. Jesus has taken a passage that as far as they were concerned was all about deliverance for Israel and judgment on their enemies. And instead, Jesus is delivering a message of hope, of freedom, of release for everyone and anyone who will receive him. He has, if you like, blown the doors of the kingdom wide open. He's taken a message of judgment and replaced it with grace. And the people here at this gathering hate the message. Because God is saving the wrong people as far as they're concerned. And then Jesus goes even further. He says these words, famous words, today this 
scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm I'm not just a prophet like Elijah or Elisha. I'm not just here just to herald or announce. This This kingdom is coming through me, by me. I'm not simply a herald. I'm the inaugurate. I'm the kingdom bringer. So when he reads Isaiah 61, he says, the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's talking about himself. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's incredibly good news for people who want to receive him, but it's incredibly challenging and provocative for those who don't. Jesus is saying, I am the kingdom bringer. I will set the captives free. I will proclaim good news. I will bring freedom. And the people in the synagogue cannot deal with it. They can't. They have no framework for this. And one of the reasons they can't deal with it is because they just don't get who he is. They just don't understand who this guy is. So they're saying to each other, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this, that's, this is the kid who grew up, that's Joseph's son. And all, for as long as they think he's Joseph's son, they will never receive him for who he is and therefore never be able to receive his kingdom message. Now, if you've read the first three chapters of Luke, if you haven't, I'd encourage you to, and the first book of Luke for you, what you'll discover is Luke again and again keeps telling us who Jesus is. And he keeps telling us he's not actually Joseph's son. So in the genealogy, in the family tree, he's showing us who Jesus is. At the baptism, the father speaks out, this is my beloved son. In the wilderness, in the actual interactions with the devil, then you get this, it's all about who Jesus is. This is God's son, Jesus, not Joseph's son. This is the son of God, the new Adam. And Luke keeps telling us again and again. And the people don't get him. They don't get who he is, so they can't receive what he's saying. We will never be able to receive what he's saying until we understand who he is. We won't be able to receive God's kingdom rule in our lives until we realize that he's the king. We won't be able to receive what God says about money, about sex, what we do with our bodies, about power. We will never be able to live under his kingdom rule until we realize who he is. That's why in John 6, when you get this passage where people are flocking to Jesus and suddenly scores leave because they just can't deal with him. That's why in John 6, where Jesus turns to Peter and says, are you going to go? What are you doing? And Peter says, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, I know who you are. I've started to understand who you are. Where else would I go but stay with you? And ultimately, when we think of the kingdom, when we think of Jesus coming, we have a choice as to how we respond. Do we receive him or do I reject him? And Jesus doesn't really leave a lot of space for another option. I either receive him or I reject him. That's why in John's gospel, right at the start, John talks about, you know, he came to those which were his own, but they did not receive him. But for all those who would receive him, who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave them the right to become children of God. You can reject him or you can receive him. And for those who receive him and receive this message of the kingdom, this is the message of life. 
This is the message of forgiveness and freedom that we've waited for for our entire lives. This is what Jesus is preaching and proclaiming. So he says, look, I've come to announce good news, good news to the poor. That, when that talks about the poor, that's not just simply talking about the economical poor. It's talking about much, a much broader sense of poverty. It's talking about people who are poor in spirit, the people who are broken, marginalized, and in particular, people who are considered outside, historically, of God's kingdom. They would not be allowed in. They'd never be allowed to be part of the kingdom of God or part of the people of God. And Jesus is saying, Come, I'm going to blow that open. People from all places and all backgrounds can come to me. And that's why it's so powerful when you see who Jesus heals and, and interacts with in the Gospels, because they're not accidental moments. He touches people and talks to people and interacts with people who are always considered outside. He's healing lepers and healing blind people and he's talking and caring for foreigners and the poor because he's saying again and again, this is who my kingdom is for. He's demonstrating not only what the kingdom does, but who the kingdom is for. And then he says, I've come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed Free. Now that last phrase, to set the oppressed free, is a lift from Isaiah 58, not Isaiah 61. Isaiah 58, if you know it, is all about Israel not fulfilling what it should have done, not being any good, really, at Sabbath worship, and not helping the oppressed the way they should. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come and do what Israel has, should, ought to have done, but has never been able to do. I'm going to come and fulfill what you can do. And that's what Jesus says to me and to you. He says, I'm, I'm coming to fulfill what you could never fulfill. What I'm coming to do for you what you could never do for yourself. You can't free yourself. You can't heal yourself. You can't deliver yourself. I'm coming to do for you what you desperately need, but you could never do for yourself. Interestingly, Kenneth Bailey, he's quite a well-known writer, you know, writes a lot about kind of cultural thinking amongst the Jewish community in, in that kind of Jesus' age he talks about when Isaiah was written, obviously earlier than that, when people read the phrase, you know, freedom for the, to the captives, they would have understood that to mean because Isaiah was writing for people who were in exile, in captivity, held. When they heard that phrase, what they were thinking of and would have heard, that means refugees who are held in captive can come home. So also in this is, is this very strong sense of, I'm coming to people who have lived away from home who have been held in slavery and captivity away from home, and I'm coming to free you so you can come home. Jesus has come to declare freedom, if you like, to people who are captives away from home. This is our story, everybody. We were made to know him, to live with him, and to walk with him, and to live our lives around him. But we've been estranged because of sin. We've lived away from home. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming to set free the captives who can come home to me, to come and be with the one that you are always made to be with and live with. That's us. And he can do this, and Jesus ends with this phrase, because he says, this is the year of the Lord's favour. Now, I wish we had more time to get into this, but that's a reference to Leviticus, and, and basically this Jewish um, tradition of the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, there would be a year of Jubilee where all debts were cancelled, where people who had lost their kind of birthright, that would be restored, slaves were set free, Basically, people got to start again. It was all cancelled and people got to start again. And Jesus is saying, I've come to proclaim and inaugurate a year of Jubilee. It's just incredible news. 
Some people can't cope with it and cannot respond to it. But for all who can respond to it, it is incredible news. This message of forgiveness and release and rescue, of a homecoming, of a new start. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm coming to inaugurate this now. This is the message of the kingdom. Now, I don't know what happens in your heart when you hear this. But I know that for some of us, we have a hard time accepting this kind of thing. We think, oh, you know, this message could be true for someone else. Maybe God would do that for someone else, but probably not for me because because I know what I'm like. I know about my track record. I know about how much I messed up. I know about how much damage I've caused. God could never accept me. And I just want you to know that if you think like that and if that's how you hear this message, this message is absolutely for you. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. That's who I've come for, says Jesus. Jesus' kingdom is for everybody who says or can say the phrase, I wish I'd never. Or says, I wish I could go back and change that. This is the message of Jubilee. This is the option and the promise of a new start of the kingdom of God coming to you through Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you can respond to him. You can respond to him right now where you are. You can, even as I'm speaking, you can just go, God, I need to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to show yourself as real to me. And you can respond where you are. And if if you're responding and you just think, I'd want to really encourage you to sign up for Alpha. Alpha's a brilliant course all about the Christian faith. That's exactly what you should try and do and respond to Jesus and get involved in that course. Now, as we close, here is the other extraordinary thing about this kingdom message that Jesus inaugurates and announces and demonstrates by these healings and signs and wonders. The other extraordinary thing is this, we get to be kingdom bearers. If you're a Christian, you get to be a kingdom bearer. Jesus says to his disciples, freely you have received, now freely give. In other words, Bring, bring to others, show to others, bear to others what I have given to you. Freely give what you have freely received. And in John 15, John 15 is just like one of the, it's just one of those chapters that we should read again and again. And in John 15 is a verse that I have just found endlessly encouraging over the years, where Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Those are the words over the life of every believer, chosen by God. I just find that so encouraging. I didn't choose him, he chose me, and I get to receive and enjoy the kingdom, but Jesus is saying, it's not just for me, and it's not just for you. We are called, Jesus says, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. In other words, to make a difference, fruit that will last. In other words, fruit that has significance, kingdom fruit, in other words. I've appointed you to go and bear fruit and to, and to carry this message of the kingdom all around you, to all the people you know who live next door, in your house, at the school gates, in the workplace, wherever it is, I'm calling you to be kingdom bearers and bring good news to the people around you, to live out this kingdom message. I chose you, I appointed you, Jesus said, to go and bear fruit, and it's fruit that will last, and that is for everyone who has received Jesus. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, we thank you for this incredible kingdom message. 
And Lord, I want to pray for two, two sets of people really. I want to say, pray for those of us who don't know you, who are responding to you. God, I pray, give us the courage to do that and to, and to press through and to and respond to you and to sign up for Alpha and to find out that you're real. And I pray for those of us who already know you, who are walking with you. God, give us just the courage to live it out this week, being bearers of this kingdom good news to all the people around us. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.